And while they are walking out, I want to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Genesis. Genesis, uh, we're going to be looking at two sections in Genesis, Genesis 12 and 1 through 3, and then also Genesis 22 and 16 through 18. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, and then also Genesis 16, I'm sorry, Genesis 22, 16 through 18. So just just turn to Genesis 12 first, and then we'll we'll go from there. Um, so we started last week. We're, we're in a, an Advent series. I guess you say a Christmas series sermon. It may not feel that way in a lot of ways to you. But um, we, we looked at last week the significance of Genesis 3 and verse 15, which is sometimes called the first prophecy as it relates to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ or the coming salvation and, and redemption. And it's, it's put in language as it relates to uh, a seed. There's going to be a seed of a woman who's going to come, and this seed is going to crush the head of the serpent. And hopefully through what we looked at last week, and there's just so much that um, we could go and, and talk about um, everything that I spoke of last week, but we, we looked at the idea of how the seed of the woman is seen in the Lord Jesus Christ. And various passages of Scripture, especially in the New Testament, makes that claim or, or, or leans in that significant way. And so there are basically two, two types of seeds, two types of offsprings that have been um, gone forth since the beginning of humanity after the fall. And there's that seed that comes from the serpent, and there's the seed from the woman. And the seed of the serpent is, in essence, the children of Satan. And those that are the children of Satan are, in essence, those who are in rebellion against God. And we see how in the book of Genesis, those two seeds, if you will, they, they kind of go uh, parallel and, and away from one another. So Cain, and he has a family, he has a, a lineage. And then when we read about all that happens in Cain's genealogy, it becomes pretty apparent that it's, it's full of wickedness. And then there is the lineage of Seth that we, we see in the latter part of chapter 4, and then all the way through Genesis chapter 5. And then it gives us all these glimpses of how through Seth come this, this seed of the woman is being uh, perpetuated. There's various clues and various evidences of that. And so the, the book of Genesis, as I talked about last week, it uses this word seed or offspring or descendant in various ways that it can be translated. But it uses that word... Uh, 57 times out of the uh, 170 times that it's used in the Old Testament. And so almost about 33% of its occurrences happens in the book of Genesis. And so that, that's actually significant. It uh, should be kind of an attention getter. This is, this is a theme that maybe that is running through the book of, Gen- through the book of Genesis. And so what, what we're going to do is we're going to trace that seed to another seed, if you will. That, that offspring that comes from... Uh, from the woman that comes from Seth. And then we're going to find ourselves here in just a moment in Genesis chapter 12, where through the lineage of Seth, we find Abraham. And then to Abraham is another promise that's given that's related to the seed or the descendant or the the offspring of, of that sort. And one of the emphasis that we're going to see as it relates to Abraham is that through his seed, through his descendant, through his offspring, is going to come blessing. And so through the seed of Abraham comes blessing. 
not just to those that come directly of descendants of Abraham, but to all the nations. And we'll find this here in just a few moments, that through Abraham, he's going to bless the nations. God's going to bless the whole nation. So there's, there's going to be, as we're going to look at this text, this um, barrage, if you will, of words that relates to blessing and how God is seeking to bless humanity through this sea. Now, let's just think just for a moment about that word blessing. It's probably, it's become overused in the context of Christian circles in, in the church today. Um, it's, it doesn't have the kind of meaning that it should have when we just say, you know, somebody sneezes, well, bless you. Um, or, you know, somebody does something ridiculous, bless his heart. So there's various ways in which we throw that word around, and it, it loses the essence of its meaning, or it's really its biblical meaning. And blessing actually focuses in a very prominent way in the book of Genesis. Now, I want to just give you just kind of the core of the meaning of what blessing is. Now, you know, blessing is a very broad term that's used in the Old Testament and also the New Testament. But whatever the meaning, it has a relationship with God as always, the pivot of blessing. So the pivot of blessing always is grounded in a relationship with God. And so whenever we think about the added meanings of blessing, maybe you think about blessing as material wealth, then those who have a relationship with God know that those blessings materially, they come from God. God is the source of that. God is the giver of all of these these kinds of blessings. So whatever we can say about it, that is, in essence, what uh, it means. Now, we can actually trace this idea of blessing all the way back to the creation account. In, in God's good creation, before sin and before the fall actually entered the world, it was characterized by blessing. In fact, we see several times in the book of Genesis, when God created, that he used that term and he blessed. And he blessed. And so, for instance, on the, um, on the fifth day, after creating all the animals, the, he blessed the animals. Then on the sixth day, he created uh, man and woman in his image, and he blessed them. And then even on the seventh day, after God had ended his created work, he blessed that day, and he made it holy. Now, there is a little bit of a distinction. Uh, a way to distinguish by how God blessed the animals that he created and the way that he blessed humanity. Because we think about the, the word blessing at the core of it. It has the word, uh, uh, it pivots toward a relationship with God. That, that's really the core meaning. So the blessing that God gave to the animals is distinctly different than the blessing that he gave to humanity. And the way that we know that is because he said he gave the blessing to them. So to man and woman, to them. The blessing, which is a very personal way of expressing it. And for the animal kingdom that God created, he just simply blessed it. Um, And then with respect to the seventh day, God has a specific and distinct relationship with that seventh day. That seventh day was going to be the day in which God's people would worship him. As a consequence of the relationship with him, they would worship him on that, that Sabbath day that God had rested and that God had hallowed. He had made it holy as he rested from his uh, creative work. And so in, in the seventh day, um, it demonstrates the blessing and the favor 
over all that he created. So blessing and favor were to characterize the relationship between the creator and his creation, specifically between man and woman. Yet because of the fall, blessing turns into cursing. It's polar opposite. In the aftermath of sin, the serpent, uh, to the serpent, God says, you are cursed, which is the opposite of blessing. To the woman, she's also cursed. I will greatly multiply your sorrow and pain. And to the man, cursed is the ground. And one of the ways in which we see that God's blessing in Eden, apart from sin, is not only the way that he uses the word, that he, you know, he blessed the animal kingdom, he gave the blessing to them, he blessed the seventh day, but also we see this relationship that transpires between God and man and woman, and how God walked with them, and how God was with them, and how God had a relationship with them, and then all of a sudden, everything begins to change after the fall. Because after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they recognize there's something wrong with their relationship with God. Because God comes walking in the cool of the day, and this is apparently the first time that they've ever hid from him. So I think that the, the text or the, the narrator, Moses, he writes it about God walking in the garden. This is something that God regularly did. And he's asking them, why are you even hiding? Of course, he knew that. He knew why they were hiding. He knew exactly what had happened. But why are you even hiding? It presupposes that this was something that God had done a number of times with the man and the woman. But because of sin, now now that relationship is broken, and it means that blessing is now turned into cursing. And so the story of the fall brings to a bitter end the blessing that was the hallmark of God's creative activity. Man and woman no longer know God's blessing, but now must come to terms with his displeasure. Outside of Eden, everywhere you turn, the curse is evident. But among this dark cloud, there is a silver lining in the woman's seed. The seed of the woman will reverse the curse of God's creation and bring blessing. If you follow the trajectory of the offspring of the woman, you will find the glimpses of this blessing. So, with the birth of Seth, men began to call on the name of the Lord. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. This means that Enoch only knows the blessing of life. This is really an interesting read. When you, it's one of the significance of that genealogy. It's not only is it signifying the perpetuation of the seed of the woman, but after every listing of every person, this person begat that person, it says, and they died. Until you get to Enoch, and it just stands out like a neon sign, Enoch didn't die. So because Enoch walked with God, which was talking about the core of his relationship with God, he received the blessing of life and not the curse of death. So there's, there's again, evidence of blessing uh, in that. And then when Lamech was uh, Lamech in the lineage of Seth, that he has a son that he names Noah, and he names him Noah because he said, this one will comfort us concerning our work, um, till, to, till our, of our hands because the ground which the Lord has cursed. And then blessing finds Noah, even when every other person among that humanity in Noah's day was embracing the curse, Noah still walked with God and found God's blessing and found God's favor and God saved him 
and saved his family. And Noah became, in a sense, the new Adam to bring about a new humanity. So you think the blessing of God is on Noah. It's going to be all but blessing. And then what do we see? We see the curse. Noah gets drunk. His son, Ham, does some despicable things to his father. Then he is cursed. And consequently, as a, because of that, the blessing of the seed or the blessing of God goes to Noah's other son, Shem. And then from Shem comes another who inherits the blessing, and that's Abram. That's Abraham, and that brings us to Genesis 12 and verses 1 through 3. So look with me in this text. It says, Now the Lord has said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. Now notice the word here. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So from Abraham is going to come the blessing. From Abraham is going to come, if you will, the restoration of a relationship with God that's, that the curse has no effect over. So here we're seeing the very unfolding of God's plan of salvation or his plan of blessing, his plan of bringing people into a right relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. And so before we look at, uh, you get to this section in Genesis 12, you know, every turn since the fall, the curse is inevitable. How will this curse be reversed? And then the answer is found in Abraham, and in whom all the families of the earth will be blessed. And this is what we are looking for. We're looking for a return to the blessing that characterizes life in Eden. In fact, the call of Abraham follows a similar pattern in Genesis thus far that shows blessing and salvation in the midst of cursing and judgment. God always provides his grace and his blessing even when there is sin. This is one of the the great things about the nature and the character of God that all of us should give praise to him for is that even in the context of our sin and the sin of humanity, God has always been gracious and patient and long-suffering in bringing about blessing and salvation and perpetuating his plan of salvation. And one of the ways that we see that with Abraham is that it falls on the hill of Babel. And we... You, know, you, you look back before that, God is creating a new humanity through Noah. You think everything is going to be good. It's going to perpetuate humanity with, uh, from the lineage of this one whom the Bible says walked with God. But as that generation grows, they become wicked. They think they're, they're as good as God. We're going to make our name great. We're going to build a tower so that we can, we can go to God. Which, by the way, that's what people continue to do today in the way that they use religion, in the way that they use work, that they're trying to build their way to God. We can do this. We got this. And so consequently, what God does is he brings cursing and judgment to them. And he confuses their speech and he scatters them throughout the world. So the, the flood and Noah isn't the solution. They're still cursing. But even after that, here we have Abraham that comes out on the scene 
And God says, through Abraham, I'm going to return the blessing. I'm going to restore the blessing. In fact, there are parallels here between the event at Babel and Abraham. At Babel, they wanted to make a name for themselves that you see in 11, chapter 11, verse 4. And then in chapter 12 and verse 2, it said God promises to make Abraham's name great. So what they wanted at Babel, God's going to do for Abraham. They wanted a great name. God says, I'm going to make Abraham's names great. And then uh, we see that the consequence of Babel results in the cursing by the scattering of the people all over the face of the earth. But through Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So those that God has scattered... God will now bless through Abraham. And blessing and faithfully following God through the Lord Jesus Christ go together. The curse came as a consequence of disobedience, and blessing flows from faith in God and obedience to him. So like in the command that God gave Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, a command is given to Abraham to get out of his country to leave his family. And the writer of Hebrews described Abraham as going out by faith and obedience to a land, not knowing where he was going. Now, can any of you imagine living in a place all of your life? Let's just suppose you live here in, uh, in Poto. You, this, this is your home. This is all that you know. This is where you want to die. You want to go right across the street when you take your last breath. I'm going to be buried here. Born here, bred here. I'm going to be dead here. That, that's your plan. That's all you know. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, God tells you, I want you to go to Africa. To a place you've never heard of, to a people you've never heard of, to a language that you've never heard of. This is kind of the way in which this call comes to Abraham. We're, we're not told any background information. All we're told is that God calls Abraham and says, I want you to leave your land, leave your family, and go to this place. A land that he does not know. And what we learn in the text is that, it's verse 4, it says that, So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. So the curse comes as a result of Adam and Eve not doing what God told them to do. Not faithfully following him. And so Abraham is going to be a vehicle of blessing. It's by God's grace. He's going to give him the blessing, but Abraham is going to faithfully Follow God and go where God calls him to go. Now, to be sure that we see the evidence of the frailty of Abraham as the narrative unfolds, the various um, things that he does that does not show his faith. But Abraham is characterized as a man of faith who goes and does what God calls him to do. And consequently, because of that, comes the blessing. The blessing comes by God when we faithfully follow him. So if you look in verses 2 through 3, there are seven statements that are presented to Abraham to explore the aspect of God's blessing. And the first three, the fifth, and the sixth statements are promises of what God will do. The fourth is a statement about Abraham, and the seventh is about all of the peoples of the earth. So let's just go through these seven very briefly. So don't get scared. I know there's seven. But we're going to be brief about this. So notice the first statement that's made here in this, um, in this text. He says, in verse 2, I will make you a great nation. Now this is ironic in light of the attention of his wife Sarah 
in chapter 11 and verse 30. Notice what it says in verse 30 of chapter 11. But Sarai was barren. She had no child. The emphasis in this text is not that she just had no child, but that she could not have a child. In fact, the writer of Hebrews speaks about her ability to finally have a child as though it was like a resurrection because her womb was as good as dead. But God, in his grace, in his mercy, in his power, he gave life to her womb. And out of that womb comes Isaac. So there's, there's the irony in this that not only Abraham, by the way, he's an old man. I, I hate to say it like that, but he's 75. I know some of you are older than that. But he was old when God calls him to do this. And that's, that's, that's a little past the time to be having children. And yet God makes this promise to Abraham, who is really an old man by this time. His wife has no ability to have children. He says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. So this is, and since it is listed first, it becomes the most important blessing. The event of Abraham revolves around having an heir to produce this nation. And then, of course, we see how Abraham gets a little... Abraham and Sarai get a little um, impatient with God, think that we can do this. Right? We've got this God. And so what does Sarai do? She gives him her maidservant, and then comes Ishmael, and then that's just a disaster. He's not the nation that God's going to... That, he's not the one through whom God's going to bring about the nation. It's going to come through Sarai's womb. But this is where it comes about. So God makes his promise. I'm going to make you a great nation. And then notice the next statement, I will bless you. An individual promise is given to Abraham regarding his material possessions. Many times blessings are also measured by children, but this isn't the emphasis since the promise of a great nation, children, has already been made. And I think this is going to flow um, logically into the next blessing. So he says, I'm going to bless you. In other words, I'm going to make you wealthy. I'm going to make you rich. And this is what we see in Abraham's life, that that he's a man who has many servants. He has many flocks. He has an army. He goes to war with other kings. And so the emphasis in this blessing is that the writer of Genesis is showing that Abraham is wealthy and has given us an inkling that the seed that's going to come from Abraham is going to be a king. Because so he gives him material blessing. I'm going to bless you. You're going to give him the kind of wealth that only a king would have. Then the next statement is, I will make your name great. As mentioned earlier, this statement parallels what the people stated while building Bab- the tower in Babel. The key difference is that the people at Babel were seeking to make their own name great. In this text, God makes Abraham's name great. In addition to Abraham, David is the only other person where the Bible tells us that I'm going to make your name great. The only other person. And then outside those two, the, other, the only other name that's great is God, is the name God. So this is uh, somewhat significant um, because it says at least two things since uh, Abraham has his great name. Since God's name alone is great, Abraham is being adopted as God's son and child. That's why his name is great. Which, well, by the way, if you read through the, uh, the book of Revelation, especially read the first two chapters, and it talks a lot about how God's going to give us a name. 
He's going to give us a name. Just in, in, in the similar way in which we're seeing here in this text, we're going to have a great name. He's going to write on us. You know, he's going to put our name in the book of, uh, the book of life. And this great name that we have is not because we're great. Look at us. Look what we did. But because we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, we've been a, because of what Jesus Christ has done, because He is the Son of God, we have been adopted as His children, and now our name is going to be great because our Father's name is great. And because the Lord Jesus Christ, His name is great. And it really kind of parallels with the idea that um, when we think about what it is that we will receive as it relates to salvation, we will become joint heirs with Jesus. Whatever belonged to Jesus, God Himself, the Son of God, whatever belongs to Him, we share in that. So that's the same kind of idea that's being communicated here in this text, that Abraham has a great name because he follows a great God. And then the second thing about this great name is that the conferring of God's great name is connected to, or I'm sorry, the conferring of David's great name is connected to a royal title. Thus, the second blessing of material blessings but material possessions help bolster the idea that Abraham and his offspring is going to be royalty. And that actually unfolds um, through Jacob's son Judah, where there's a prophecy about Judah that out of you is going to come a king. And so here we have this emphasis on uh, Abraham and, and really this royal lineage, if you will. The fourth statement is that Abraham's going to be a blessing. Um, and you shall be a blessing. Now, the, the language in the uh, Old Testament, it could be translated as an imperative. It's actually an imperative, which can be used for commands or invitation. And so here what God is doing through this statement is he's inviting Abraham to receive the previous blessing and thus be a blessing. So the statements that follow, the next three statements that follow show how this happens. So notice the, the next two. I will bless those who bless you, and I'm putting these together, and curse those who curse you. So number five and number six of these statements, I will bless those who bless you. Number six, I will curse those who curse you. So the next two statements are opposites, two sides of one corn. These are explicit actions of the Lord. How one treats Abraham and his offspring entails whether God blesses or curses or judges that person. And there are clear examples of this in Genesis. That whenever there would be somebody that was pitted against Abraham, God would curse them. Whether it was the king of Pharaoh, whether it was Abimelech, God would curse them when they, when they uh, took Sarai as to, to be like their wife. Of course, the reason that that happened is because Abraham was lying about it. But when they had her, God was sending all kinds of cursings upon them. But then those who would bless Abraham, they would also receive the blessing themselves. And this translates into, as we go a little bit further, and we've already, I mean, we've already kind of let the uh, you know, cat out of the bag of who the seed is, we're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we bless the Lord Jesus Christ, He blesses us. That's where the blessing comes. It comes in Jesus Christ. But when we're in rebellion against Him, when we're outside of the seed of Abraham, comes cursing and comes judgment. And then the last statement of blessing says, all the nations will be blessed. The seventh promise reveals the inclusive character of this promised blessing. It is not just for the nation, 
that literally comes from the lineage of Abraham but to all of the nations. And we've been working through the book of Romans, and we've, hopefully we're seeing how that happens. And Paul actually makes the argument in Romans 4 that Christians, that every person can call Abraham their father who has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's what characterized being a child of Abraham, is whether you have faith in the one true God who has shown himself and disclosed himself fully in and through his son Jesus. And then we're going to, and as we turn over, turn over real quick to Genesis 22 in verses 16 through 18. And this won't take as long as the early, what we just got, we're working through. But we're going to see how specifically this seed, uh, we didn't really see that the language of the seed being used here, just mainly of the blessing. And so we're going to come to the end, if you will, of the narrative as it relates to Abraham's life and see the promise of God. And this all takes place in the aftermath of Mount Moriah. So by now, Abraham has had that son that God had promised him. His wife, whose womb was as good as dead, as the writer of Hebrews says, God gives it life, and she has Isaac. And then Abraham loves Isaac, loves him. That's one of the problems we find in in the Bible. Not only do we find the the issues with... um, the you know, polygamy and, and maidservants, and, but also favoritism. I mean, Abraham absolutely loved Isaac. And so what God does is he tests Abraham. He tells him to go up to a mountain and to sacrifice his son. And we see this obedience of Abraham again. So the, the blessing that we saw in chapter 12 is characterized by Abraham's obedience. God calls him to go out of a land to go to a place he doesn't know, leave your family, and he goes. So God gives him this blessing. And here again, Abraham has this test of faith, this test of obedience. And when he does exactly as God calls him to do, again, God reiterates this blessing in maybe a, a, a clearer way than um, of what it looks like. Now notice in verse 16, and th- this comes from the angel of the Lord who stopped Abraham from sacrificing his son, providing a, a, a ram, which, by the way, the angel of the Lord is basically a way of showing the manifest presence of God. That this is God himself. Not, not an angel representing God, but this is God himself in uh, manifesting himself before Abraham. So notice what it says in verse 16, that the angel of the Lord, where God said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing, and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing I will bless you, multiplying I will multiply your descendants. That's the word seed, as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants, again, seed, shall possess the gate of their enemies. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because, why? You have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young man, and they rose, and they went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt in Beersheba. So there's an oath that God gives to Abraham, and in this oath he promises three things. Number one, Abraham will be blessed with many offspring, comparing them to stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. So through Abraham there will be many. If you remember last week, from one comes many, from the many comes one, and then from that one, again, comes many. So from this one seed of Abraham, there's going to be many. It's going to be like 
the stars in the heavens, the sand in the seashore. And I, I can imagine myself just thinking, if I was in Abraham's shoes, I've got this one son. How is this even going to happen? It's going to happen because God's blessing is going to reside on Abraham. And he's going to multiply his sons and become a great nation. And then the second thing that I want us to notice is that the promise shifts to a particular offspring of Abraham. Now, as noted last week, the word translated as seed, offspring, or descended is what we call collective noun and can refer to many or one. It just has one form. So our word offspring is the same way. So I could talk about my offspring, which would be my, my, my four children, so I can talk about that one offspring, maybe one of those, those child. So it's, it's a collective noun that could be mean singular, singular or plural. And the way that we determine whether it's a singular or plural is by context. The article, uh, the pronoun that it refers to, or even a verb. A verb that may be a verb that is, uh, uh, is, is plural is going to have a plural subject. A verb that's singular is going to have a singular subject. And so that's what we see here. And one of the unfortunate things about our English translation. This, this, this happens very rarely, but most of you, if you have an ESV translation, your translation actually translates it right. But most of us, I've got a new King James. Some of you have NIVs, but if you'll notice what it says, and it says, um, your descendants shall, pay, shall possess the gate of their enemies. That's in verse 17. And it should radically reread, and your descendant shall possess the gate of of his enemies. So it's a singular. So it's, there's a shift here that takes place. So the first descendant, seed, offspring, is plural, talking about this great nation. And now all of a sudden, it narrows down to a particular seed or a particular descendant. And there are two clues that, that uh, the second descendant in verse 17 should be understood as singular. Number one, the verb possess is singular, which means it has to have a singular subject. And two, the pronoun that follows is singular. His enemy, not their enemies. As I mentioned, the English Standard Version actually gets it right. And the last promise continues to focus on a particular offspring through whom all the nations will be blessed. So if you'll notice that, in your seed, singular, in that offspring, in that particular person, all of the nations will be blessed because you have obeyed my word. Now, let's think about this in light of the New Testament. In two, two verses that refer to, or there's, there's more, but I'm just going to give you two. There's two verses in the New Testament that specifically refer to this. In a sermon, in the book of Acts, Peter makes this statement. In Acts 3, verses 25 through 26, You are prophets. You are sons of prophets. And of the covenant which God made with your father, saying to Abraham... And in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Does that sound familiar to you? In verse 18, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Peter is quoting that specifically from Genesis 22 and verse 18. But notice what Peter does with this text, how he understands it. To you first, God having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you. So, Peter understands this seed from Abraham being Jesus Christ that was raised up to bless you. Remember what the word blessing, 
has to do. It's, it's centered on the idea of relationship. So the blessing of God has to do about this restoration of our relationship, being in a right relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's not all of the verse that, uh, that I'm giving you that, that Peter says. So he says, he, having raised up his servant Jesus, talking about raising him up from the dead, sent him to bless you and turning away every one of you from your iniquities. So the way that we receive the blessings is we have our iniquities removed, our sins removed, and that happens through Jesus Christ. He's that blessing. He's that seed that that we receive the blessing from because He removes our sin. He removes our curse. He removes our iniquity so that we may receive the blessing. And then lastly in Galatians 3 and verse 17, it says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, with an S, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. So Paul concurs with Peter that Jesus is the seed of Abraham to bring the blessing of God to all those who call on his name through repentance and faith. So for Paul, God's blessing is concentrated in one person, the Lord Jesus to whom this blessing becomes applicable to all the nations. The blessed one, the Lord Jesus in whom all blessings flow, became a curse for you so that you could receive the blessing of God in salvation through repentance and faith. That's what the cross is. That's why he went to the cross. He became a curse for you, a curse that you and I deserve because of our sin, because of our iniquity. But Jesus, the seed of Abraham, came To bring blessing to you. To bring blessing to any and all who will trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and repent of their sins. And this is really the essence of what we think about when we consider the Christ child in this Advent season. This is why the angels were seen. This is why the kings were coming. Again, the emphasis in Abraham's wealth and having his great name is that through you there's going to be a king. So that's why the kings came and they brought him gifts that were fit for a king because through the lineage of Abraham came the seed who was a king. And this one he was going to bring the blessing to all who will call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if we want to find blessing in our life, if we want to find what it means to be blessed, and essentially at the core of it, not about how can we make more money, but how can we be in a right relationship with God? which our sins is hindering, is bringing curse on, on our life. And we're looking for the day in which we can find blessing. And that comes only in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.